0: Hey podcast world, thanks for tuning in to Upper Room Dallas. This week's sermon, it is Michael Miller and I am continuing to talk about how to build a life that God rests upon and a massive principle is the fear of the Lord. Uh, It's a topic you don't hear a ton about, uh, but it has marked my life personally. It's marked my life as a leader and pastor. Uh, I read a book by John Bevere in my early twenties that has saved me actually uh, around the fear of the Lord. It's tethered me to him. The fear of the Lord actually keeps us close to the Lord. Um, It is to love what he loves, to hate what he hates. And um, I, I have been attempting to apply this to my life for some time. And so I just kind of crack open uh, this principle in my life and, and uh, my story with it. I think you're going to enjoy it. I think it'll be really edifying at the end. It's very practical. So uh, buckle up. May the breath of God be upon uh, this word, and may it bless your heart. May you grow in the knowledge of Him. May you uh, continue uh, to sense His nearness, His pleasure, His love, His guidance, His wisdom, and all that you do. Again, thanks for tuning in. We love you. Words matter, and glory is a a, a very uh, sound word. It's a biblical word, um, but. But I, 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 I wanna set the presence of his glory or the presence of Jesus before us because I said it earlier, but when you get, when you get the smallest little taste of it, you're, you're ruined for anything else. Like I was in a meeting um, a couple of weeks ago that I've shared, I think on Sunday, but, but it was as if the Lord like, it was as if the Lord like took, took the smallest, the smallest little, I mean, you can't even see this. There it is. It was like, it was like the smallest, the smallest little mist of his glory, like the smallest little, and it was like the smallest of the smallest of the smallest came into this room, and and I, I hit the ground so hard, like I fell before the Lord. I got carpet burnt on my face. I started covering my head, and and I was so aware of the reality of who. God is, and I was so overwhelmed with how insignificant and little I am in comparison to how big, weighty, and glorious he is. And honestly, like I, I, that mark upon my heart has set something so fresh and anew inside of me that I'm bothered by it, I'm almost, I'm almost like tormented. Like, how, how do we get back there? How do, we, how do we lay hold of that? And so it's from that posture that I'm, I'm, I'm sharing this morning. Um, you know, I, I, think, I think like it's the necessity for his presence. Uh, when I think about things that are necessary, like everyone has a phone in the room. And uh, when I've been traveling, I'm amazed at how many older people play Candy Crush. They love it, man. They're just, I don't understand Candy Crush. I haven't figured it out. Never got it on my phone. But like there was this big... He looked like an NFL football player, a linebacker. He's probably 250 ripped sitting next to me and he's playing Candy Crush the whole time. <laughs> I'm like, man, you do you, bro. And, uh, but how many of you know that, 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 that when things are stripped down, if there's an emergency, that phone, you can dial 911 on it, right? And it's, it's stripped down basic necessity for the phone. It is it is communication and, and in the right circumstance, right moment. You ain't gonna play Candy Crush, you're gonna use that. And and I feel I, I feel you can relate that to the presence of God. That that there's this necessity for it. That it's not about cool songs, it's not about goosebumps and moments, it's about God, you are the solution to this hour. And your 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 manifest presence is the need. It's the need, and it's the need, it's, it's, it's literally all that we have. And so I wanna provoke you this morning uh, in going after that. I, I was reminded of this um, in the early days, I mentioned the early days of the upper room. Um, uh, we, we were in this small little veterinarian clinic, above, above, above a veterinarian clinic, and, and uh, I, I had some, a key, and we just started opening up for prayer. and. There was some young adults, like ages 20, 20, maybe 18 to 24, started coming, and they they couldn't make it during the week, and so they asked for keys to do a 10 p.m. Friday night worship time, where they would just minister to the Lord, open it up, and that that became a real staple for us. Uh, It would start at 10 a.m., sometimes it would go to the wee hours in the morning. Our neighbors didn't appreciate it too much, but um, I... I went in, we had little kids at the time, I didn't get to go all the time. And the first time I went in, I was so overcome with the purity and the hunger that was there. There were, there were no cameras, there was no, we didn't do social media, we didn't do any of that. It was just this obscure little room that you would only know about what was happening in that room if you knew someone. And, uh, and so I wrote this one Friday night and I've been reading it over and over uh, because I think it really sets the stage for where we're gonna go this morning. And uh, this is what it says, it's Friday night, It's 1046 p.m. It's the fall of 2013. I'm surrounded by 30 young adults just sitting in a dark room where three brothers and one friend play music over us. They've sung one chorus to one song in 45 minutes, which that was a stretch for me at the time. Uh, One song, one chorus, 45 minutes, yet the presence of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, has been here since I walked in the room at 1002. Since that time, I've had this one burning statement in my heart racing through my mind, It overwhelmed me as I knelt on the ground and closed my eyes over and over and over. All I could think, all I could say was this, I'm here to meet with the man, the one who has fire in his eyes. I'm here to meet with the man who has fire in his eyes. I'm looking for, I'm waiting on, I'm seeking tonight the man who has fire in his eyes. Hunger filled my soul, a deep longing awakens again. A depth in me begins to cry out, this one cry. I want to see the man, the one with fire in his eyes. I have to see the man, the one with fire in his eyes. No desire is greater. Other passions wane. My perspective has changed and my soul has determined tonight I will meet the man, the one with fire in his eyes. As I look around the room, more and more young people come in, staggering in throughout the room. Immediately they follow suit. They lay on the ground, sitting in a chair, maybe acknowledging someone that they know, but they too are lost, sitting, lying, pacing. They too are here to meet the man with fire in his eyes, it's as if we're all love. it's as if we're all sick with love, longing, hunger, desperation, zeal, are symptoms of hearts that have been stricken, wrecked, undone by this man. The man with fire in his eyes. How close can we get? How much can we see? What more is there to taste? Oh, have you met the man? The one with fire in his eyes? A growing race, a breed of believers, a burning people is ar- arising now all convinced that this pursuit, this desire, this call is all we have. it's all we want. Or it's all we know, it's all we want, in fact, it's all we have. He, the man, the one with fire in his eyes, has taken residence. He's chosen me. He's chosen you. He's chosen us. And he's desire to put that fire, the one that's in his eyes inside of me, he's desire to put it inside of you. It's a fire that consumes, a fire that refines. It's a fire that ruins. It's a fire that burns. It's a fire that marks. It's a fire that heals. It's a fire that overtakes. It's a fire that's never quenched. It's a fire that's never put out, never snuffed. This fire only grows, this fire only spreads. It's spreading now and you too will know when you declare I'm here to meet the man, the one with fire in his eyes. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's the one that has fire in his eyes. And, and the beautiful news is that he desires to meet with us. That the, the, the desire and zeal is mutual. <laughs> and so my goal this morning is to provoke You to pursue the one that has fire in his eyes. <clears throat> so the topic that I wanna share with you that I think tethers us to this pursuit is one that I don't hear talked a lot about. Um, and, and this topic doesn't get a lot of airtime because I don't know if we fully understand it. Um, but, but in order to create environments that are marked by this, we have to tether ourselves to this topic. And the topic is the fear of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I wanna talk this morning to you about the fear of the Lord. So when I say the fear of the Lord, uh, it, it can easily be misunderstood in regards to being afraid of God or being terrified of God. Uh, The the fear of the Lord does not draw you away from him. The fear of the Lord tethers you to him. Um, The the fear of the Lord is, uh, it's a dimension of the Holy Spirit. And um, I think the easiest way to to understand the fear of the Lord, is to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. Uh, It's a life that is yielded to him. It's an awareness of him. And it's, It's similar to what we were singing. My life is unto his worth, it's unto his glory, it's unto the knowledge of who he is, both for me and others, and I am gonna live a life that is so sensitive to the one who lives in me and is with me. My decisions matter, my behaviors matter. Uh, He is holy and he lives inside of me, therefore I am holy. Uh, The fear of the Lord tethers us and protects us from snares, it protects us from traps. Uh, The fear of the Lord cuts through compromise. The fear of the Lord cuts through mixture. The fear of the Lord cuts through complacency and lukewarmness. The fear of the Lord, when it touches your heart, it it sets you ablaze to to truly realize there's no one like him. But when the fear of the Lord awakens that, it's less than a statement. Like me to go, there's no one like him. You're like, amen, brother. Yeah, there's no one like him. But when the Holy Spirit touches your heart and says, no, 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 there's truly no one like this one... uh, you begin to make radical decisions under the knowledge of who he is. You begin to move cities. You begin to sit in empty rooms like this, just longing for the one that you've gotten a glimpse of so that you can see more of him. That, that's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is safe. The fear of the Lord brings, uh, it, it brings security. It brings, the fear of the Lord actually brings his favor. The fear of the Lord is so t- connected to blessing. It's so connected to purpose. Um, the fear of the Lord uh, is, is I think one of the deepest forms of relationship that you can have with him because when you truly know him, you tremble before him. And there's a familiarity that I think the fear of the Lord is gonna break in the body. We've become too familiar with a God that it's going to take eternity to truly know. So how are we familiar with him when we only know in part? And what the fear of the Lord is, the fear of the Lord provokes us into the more, but, but it's not just, it's not just words. It's lifestyle. It's, we crawl upon that altar and we say, Lord, my life is not my own. It's yours. My life is under the knowledge of who you are. And the fear of the Lord provokes that. Uh, The fear of the Lord breaks off the fear of man. Uh, The fear of the Lord uh, breaks off the fear of man. You stop living for the approval of many because you have the approval of one. Uh, The fear of the Lord is gonna help you stand in truth in an hour where cultural deception is rampant in rooms like this. I'm not saying that, That we're deceived, but I'm saying that deception is one decision away from many in this room. It's knocking on the door of your phones. It's knocking through relationships and conversations, whether it's politics or Jesus or church. There's so many opinions that are rampant and the fear of the Lord tethers you to his authority, to his word. It tethers you to his truth. And we need that. We need to be tethered to him in the hour because in the last days, like the greatest warning in Matthew 24, in the last days, the issue with the last days is deception. But it's not just like the, the boogeyman coming, you know, the devil has a boogeyman going, follow me. That's not how deception works. It's a void of leadership. Matthew 24 is a void of leadership. And the leadership vacuums allows these voices to step in and they speak as if they're speaking for him, but they're not of him. And deception comes because of the great need. And we have these false prophets, false leaders that will emerge. And if you're not tethered to the fear of the Lord and to the word, and you have a personal relationship with him, the cultural narrative is so strong that if you're not rooted in the biblical one, we could have problems. And as your pastor, I I love you too much just to tickle ears and give you like, here's the three ways that you can live you know, your best life and all of that, like, like to me, it's not about you. It's about the knowledge of him and the knowledge of him has to be marked with the fear of the Lord. It has to be marked. Like when we're saying we're going after his presence, but we have to, we have to tremble when he enters into the room. Like we we've got to, there's a, there's a level of familiarity that I want to, familiarity that I want to crack today. Um, and so, So let me, let, me, let me talk about the fear of the Lord just for a little bit. Uh, John Bevere wrote a book called Fear of the Lord. I read it in my 20s, and I'm so thankful for John Bevere. He's a friend of mine. I've gotten to play golf with him. He's, he's an awesome guy. Uh, but he wrote a book called The Fear of the Lord um, in the, I think it was the late 90s probably. I read it in the early aughts. Um, and, and it provided for me a context as a 20-something, to begin to build my life around the patterns that he revealed in the fear of the Lord. Um, and, and so I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna give you those. So all kudos to John Bevere for what I'm about to share. And then I've run with it now for almost 20 years. And, uh, and it, this, this revelation has matured in my heart and I'm looking around the room and there are a lot of 20-somethings in here. And your 20-somethings can be bloody, muddy, hard, they're marked with warfare. They're marked with like you discovering who you're not, who you are. But if I could give you a couple of revelations, like this would be one of them. It's, it's really important. Um, and so here's how John Bevere uh, defined fear of the Lord. It's through, it's through three different things. And the first is divine order. So if you have notes, I encourage you to take them, pull that phone out. Um, and I want to show you one is divine order. Divine orders first. Divine order is so important. Uh, The order of God is really important. You know, there's been a lot of talk in the church around grace and law, like law, bad, grace, good. Law, bad, grace, good. So anytime someone starts talking about obedience and the do's and do nots of the faith, oftentimes we're like, no, we're not into behavior modification, which is true. And this has nothing to do with your behavior. Uh, God's order is not about what you do and don't do. God's order is how you build and what you build your life around. And so divine order is so important. Divine order is knowing the ways of God. Divine order is centering your life around the word of God. Divine order is divine rhythms, divine patterns uh, that, that help tether you to the ways of God. Um, There are ways that are right in the eyes of the Lord. There are things that we are supposed to do. Tithing is one of those things. Like if you want to know the way of God in provision and finances and you're not tithing, then you are in the elementary grade of knowing him as provider. Like, Like it's just like 101 is the tithe. And then you get into offerings and sacrificial offerings. So... God's order is is in God's ways. And so I want you to hear that. And here's what happens is when God's order is in place, when we surround our lives with God's order, what happens is God starts to rest on his order. And that's his glory. Anytime you read glory, thank God. Anytime you see the word glory, think of like God in his fullness. Like I recently, one of my sons was uh, outside, he made it outside completely naked. We lived in the uh, country. And so they would go outside and, and they were boys. So, you know, they would be boys outside and that was where they preferred to use the restroom. And so my, my four-year-old now though, we live in Lakewood and Lakewood's different than Midlothian and he will walk out in completely bare and use the restroom because he thinks we're in Midlothian. And, and one time this guy was walking by and he goes, I see your son in all of his glory. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But I think that's like all of God's glory is God just being God, fully bare. And, and so when you think of God's glory, God's glory rests on God's order. So to know God and to know the nature of God, to know what God is like, we, we participate in his ways, but his ways are unto the knowledge of who he is. You know, many of you know me as preacher, like you know me, preacher, pastor. You know me on Sunday mornings. We don't have a, a, an intimate relationship. I wish we could, but just the size of the room, you, you know me in part. But my wife, wherever she is, she's not in here. Oh, hey, baby, oh, did you, we got a baby. Oh, no. <laughs> I've seen those eyes before. Uh, <laughs> But my wife knows me. My wife knows me as my wife knows me as husband. My my wife knows me as father. My wife knows me as uh, friend, best friend. My wife knows me as companion. My wife knows me as lover. Uh, She's the only one in this room that's gonna know me in that way. All right. What I'm saying is, she knows me in ways. She knows me in ways that no one else does. She, She knows me as well as anyone in this room. And God's glory is you knowing God as he is, you knowing the fullness of who he is. Not in part, not secondhand through someone like me, but you beginning to to taste and understand the knowledge of who he is. And so you've you've got God's order, and then you've got God's glory, and then a dimension of God's glory. And this is just so important is that one of the aspects of God is that God is a judge. And this is important in talking about the fear of the Lord, is that we understand that his judgments are actually good. His judgments are for us, but we need to understand the dimension that God, God is just and God does not overlook sin. God does not, uh, God does not take sin lightly. And so I want to give you the truest definition of God's glory. The Bible actually defines it for us. And it's in Exodus 33, 34. So if you have your Bibles, head on over there. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. Exodus 33, it's a scripture you're familiar with. Um, The Lord is with Moses and Moses is interceding for the Hebrew people. In verse 12, 33, Moses said, "'See, you say to me, bring up this people, "'but you yourself has not let me know "'whom you will send with me. "'Moreover, you have said, I have have known you by name, "'and you have also found favor in my sight. "'Now therefore I pray that if I found favor in your sight, "'let me know your ways, that I may know you, "'so that I might find favor in your sight, "'consider too that this nation is your people.'" And, uh, And then the Lord told Moses, "'My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest.'" So here's the promise of his presence. Uh, my presence will go with you to lead you. My presence will go with you to deliver you, to set you free. My presence will go with you to provide for you. Like these are all dimensions of the presence. But I love Moses. Moses doesn't stop at that. It's not just the promise of his presence. It's not just of the promise that he'll be with him. He'll go with him. He'll deliver. Moses takes it a step further in this conversation. Um, he says, in. If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? It's not by you going with us so that I and your people may be distinguished of all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So this is what the presence does is distinguished them. Um, The Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight and have known you by name. Now Moses could have stopped there because everything... Moses needed, God just said he would provide. I'll provide my presence, I'll provide deliverance, I'll distinguish you as a leader and the nation. But Moses does not stop there. In verse 18, Moses said this, I pray you show me your glory not just your presence, but your presence is under the knowledge of who you truly are. And then the Lord actually answers his request. He says, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. So the glory is his goodness. The glory is connected to just, uh, the goodness means this, and uh, I love this definition of goodness. It means good in the widest of sense, nothing withheld. So I will show you the widest sense of who my goodness is. I'll give you the full panoramic view of who I am. Um, and glory is the weight of something. So it's the weightiness of his value as nature, his character. So, uh, so then he says this in 25, uh, 20, he says, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me that you shall stand there on the rock, this prophetic of Jesus. And it will come about while my glory is passing by that I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, cover you in my hand until I've passed by you. Then I will take my hand away from you and you shall see my back, but not my face. And so that happens. He takes the stone tablets and then look at verse five. Here's where uh, the glory is defined. Uh, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as Moses called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed. This is his goodness. The Lord's proclaiming himself. Here is the definition of his glory. Uh, This is what he says. The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate. Now, I think this is in order of something. I think this is the way the Lord uh, reveals himself to us. First, as compassionate. Amen. Second, as, uh, well, he's the Lord Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious. Oh, he's slow to anger, is he not? Abounding in loving kindness, is he not? And in truth, that word for truth could also be faithfulness. So he's abounding in loving kindness. He's abounding in faithfulness. God is faithful. God is slow to anger. He's patient. He's merciful. He's compassionate. He's gracious. And then look at this. um, Who keeps his loving kindness for thousands of generations. So this is, uh, he's committed to our children's children's children. Can you put the NIV up, Jazzy? And just translate a little better. I don't know how easy that is for you. Boom, boom, there you go. (laughs) Maintaining love uh, to thousands and forgiving wickedness rebellion, and sin. So a part of his nature is he forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Man, that's good news about God. This was true of him thousands of years ago. It's true of him today, and it will be true of him thousands of years from now. So wickedness, rebellion, and sin he forgives, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Uh, The NIV actually says that he does not leave sin unpunished. Meaning he's just. Meaning he's just. This is the judgment side of God. Uh, he he, he, uh, he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generations. So one of the, the spiritual, there's a spiritual principle here is that uh, there's such thing as generational iniquity. Generational iniquity is passed from fathers to sons, sons to their sons. Now, the beautiful news is this is a generational curse, but anything that's hung on a tree is considered a curse. So Jesus became a curse so that we don't have to live under the sins of our fathers. So when you come to the Lord, you enter into a new bloodline. It's the bloodline of Christ. That's a blessing to a thousand generations. So you who did not grow up in the church and you gave your life to the Lord, your life is not impacted, only impacted by it, but a thousand generations from you is impacted by it. That's how just and loving he is. But the power of sin is this. The power of sin is that it does transcend from fathers to sons, if not rightly applied under the blood of Jesus. And and sin has consequences. Sin has effects. Now, in our conversation today, what I want you to hear when I say sin is I want you to hear disorder, that sin is disorder. Sin is not not, uh, living under the order and ways of God. That's considered disorder. Uh, and I wanna show you how that, this theme works itself throughout scripture. So you have God's order, you have God's glory, and then you have God's judgment. We just looked at what God's glory is. He's forgiving, he's kind, he's loving, but a part of his glory is that he's a judge. And, and I think we need to grow accustomed and familiar with this aspect of him um, as a judge. And so here's how that plays out in scripture. Um, Genesis 1 and 2, six days, God creates. What is God creating? Well, it says, in the beginning, the Holy Spirit was hovering above the chaos. And that chaos, the word there, it says is formless and void. It could be translated as disorder. So there's disorder and you have the spirit and then you have God speaking into the spirit and order is created. So God creates order upon disorder. And for six days, he creates the created order that is done so well that we're still living in it. And the final like crowning jewel of creation was who? It was man. Now get this, Psalms chapter eight is talking about creation. So Ch- Psalms chapter eight uh, says this, it says uh, in 8.3, it says, what is man that you think of him that he's just a little lower than the angels, meaning he's, he's the, the chief authority of the created order. He's at the top. And God does this to man in Psalms eight three. It says, "When I consider the work the hands, Psalms stars you over day and keep going eight four. What is man that you take thought of him? Son of man that you care for him? And then verse five is what I really want to get at. Uh, you've made him a little lower than God, and you've crowned him with what? There's our word. There's our word. But see the theme here is that God created order. And then upon the lead of that order, which is man, he attars him or clothes him with what? Glory. Now in Hebrew thought, it's thought that man actually didn't have skin. The word "atar" means to encircle or to cover and that the glory of God was actually his covering. Now it's hard to comprehend that, the state of like purity and perfection and what they were living in, there was no separation between God and man. But we know what happened in the garden, disorder came. The serpent deceives Eve and Adam. And you have Romans 3.23. It's for all have sinned and fallen short of the what? The glory. So there was a disconnect from who God is and where man was. And so the separation between man and the glory or the knowledge of God comes. So you have this principle, order, glory, judgment. God judges disorder. It's found in the tabernacle. God God gives Moses explicit instructions. Uh, Here's how you build a tabernacle. And he gives him the order for his dwelling. He gives him the order so that he can rest among men. It's very distinct, it's very detailed. The type of furniture he has, the type of like poles and curtains and sacrifices, and he goes through all of it. And then in, uh, in Exodus 40, verse 34. Well, 33. We'll start in 33. This is the ending of him building the tabernacle. It says, Moses erected the courtyard all around the tabernacle and the altar, and he hung up the curtain and the gate and the courtyard. So Moses finished the what? He finished the work. What was the work? The work was the order that he was given to create a resting place for the Lord, the sanctuary. Everyone see that? What work was he finishing? the resting place, the order for the structure. Look at the very next verse, 34. Then the cloud covered the tent meeting and the what? The glory descended upon that order. God's order attracts God. God's order attracts God's glory. God rests upon order. This is that. Here's the order for me dwelling in you. Here's the glory I'm gonna bestow upon you. So what happened in Leviticus chapter 10? Leviticus chapter 10, Aaron's two sons at the time in Leviticus 10 only six people had been into the holiest of holies. Moses, Aaron, and Aaron's four sons. Here are two of his sons entering into the holiest of holies. And look, uh, Exodus at the end I, we're not going to read it, but they offer profane fire in the holiest of holies. What's profane fire? Profane fire is, fire is disorder. In the midst of glory, there's disorder. What happens to those two dudes? They get smoked. They get smoked they get smoked. Why? It's not because God's, it's not because God like killed them. He wasn't murdering them. It is his nature that he is so pure and holy that he consumes disorder. It's the clash of two worlds. It's the clash of who he is and where we live. If you're like, I can't believe God would do that. You don't understand who he is and where we're at. Yeah. And it, it, this is onto the beauty of Jesus and what Jesus has done that we can actually be in relationship with him. But what I want you to see is that God is attracted to divine order. God's glory rests on his order. And he will honor whatever level of order you're working on, willing to give yourself over to. Like the work of salvation is finished. You're saved by grace. You're saved uh, by faith, through faith, by grace, you're saved. This isn't about salvation and getting to heaven. This is about living in the knowledge of who he is. This isn't a punch the ticket kind of crowd. This is not cultural Christianity. We're after the man with fire in his eyes. And this is a part of that. He's an all-consuming fire. Like, whew. Okay, so you've got these two dudes, Abadu and Nabadu. A fire came out from the presence of Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Sha-ra-ba. I think there was divine order in the early church. Acts 2, they were in one accord at Pentecost. I think unity is a real important thing. I think unity in communities like this unity around who he is, unity in our hunger, unity in what we're going after, unity in, in, in building rightly. Uh, and the disciples were there. The, you know, Jesus told 500, go wait for me. He told 500, go wait for me. There were only 120. Interesting spiritual principle. You know, if you divide 120 by 500, you get 24%. It's the parable of the seeds. One in four bears fruit. That's a crazy principle. But you have 120 that made it to the upper room, 120. And they're in one accord, they're seated, and they're waiting, which is what he told them to do. You have order, and what happens? <laughs> glory. He descends. <laughs> I mean, the birth of the church is conceived through that order. The fire of God falls on those 120. They leave the upper room. They go to the southern steps. They preach the gospel. 3,000 people get saved. Why? Because glory is resting on honor. Glory's resting on order. And, uh, and the fruit of that, I want you to see this, that the fruit of God's glory is a healthy fear of the Lord. One of the reasons we don't have a fear of the Lord in our land is because we have not tasted the glory. There's a missing dimension of the glory. There's a missing dimension of God manifesting himself in the here and the now. We're living like in the days of Samuel, where the, the flame of the Lord is burning dimly. And I, I want to just provoke us that there's more for us, get us a little uncomfortable. So in Acts chapter two, after glory falls on order, look at the fruit of it. In, uh, in Acts chapter two, verse 40, it says this, and with many other words, Peter testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation Then those who gladly received this were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So here's the fruit of the Lord's coming. Um, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Look at verse 43, this is what I wanna show you. Then what came upon them? Fear came upon every soul, so that many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. It's like order, glory, fear and awe, and that fear and awe actually provides greater order, which moves them into greater glory, which puts them in greater awe and fear, which creates greater order, greater glory. They see the things God does. You're going to see that through the book of Acts. It just moves from glory to glory to glory. But this is how Ananias and Sapphira fit in. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? It's like, oh my God, Lord, you, they died. In a, in a New Testament church service, they died because they lied to the Holy Spirit. But if you look at what's surrounding the church in that hour, they were walking in a level of order where everyone in the assembly brought everything they had and laid it at the apostles' feet. It says not one person was in need. Uh, Barnabas had just sold a piece of property. He was probably wealthy and he sold it and he brought all of the resources from that to the apostles' feet. But Ananias and Sapphira were probably wealthy too. They sold a piece of property and they only gave a portion. But it wasn't what they were giving or not giving. It was that they lied. It was the motive of what they were doing. And in that level of order, and that level of glory, they died. Woo! It's the only way this story makes sense to me. It's because of the order and glory that the church was walking in. Look at the fruit of Ananias and Sapphira. Look at this in uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 11. The fruit is that Acts chapter 5, verse 11, it says that great fear, and I want you to look at who it came, great fear. So the result is fear, order, glory, God's moving, and then great fear fell upon the church. Why? Because of who was in them and among them. Great fear came over all who were uh, over the whole church. Not 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 the people around the church, it came over the church. And then look at this. And over all who heard of these things, keep going, watch this, but watch what happens. Look at these. Uh, There's there's some some contradictions here. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders. So again, fear, what starts taking place? Greater signs, greater wonders uh, were taking place among the people. And they were all in one accord in Solomon's portico. Keep going. But none of them rest dared associate. So none of them rest dared associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. So no one dared associate with him because there was such a distinguishing mark between, hey, people in there could possibly die. We don't want to go in there. But then look at the next verse. This is the contradiction. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. What does it mean? It means there was a a threshold that people had to cross through to get into church. Uh, It wasn't a warm cup of coffee and a cool service and I want to be a member. It wasn't. It wasn't church in Dallas, Texas. It was if you go in there, you could die. (laughs) Have you attended that church? No, I hear people go there and they die. (laughs) That's Acts 5, guys. That's Acts 5. Why? Because of who was in them and with them. There was such order, such glory. In fact, moving on into Acts 5, I I told you it's like, it's like order, glory, wonders. Never in the Bible had someone been recorded to their shadow healing someone. But it says right after this, are not gonna read it, but Peter would just walk by people and his shadow would heal them. That, that's not recorded of Jesus. It's nowhere else found in the Bible, but it's the level of order and glory the church was walking in. They would walk out of those environments. What is my point? My point is that there's more My point is that cultural Christianity isn't working. This is true Christianity. And it's unto the glory of God. It's unto God being in us and among us. It's unto us revering him. It's unto us yielding to him. It's unto us removing a people-centered, people-driven, people-pleasing culture unto a God-pleasing, God-centered, God-fearing culture. It's just a shift, man. It's a shift from where we've been, this attractional thing. We're not here to attract people, we're here to attract God. And when God is attractive to a people, those people, there's a delineation. I don't wanna associate with them. Oh, but I do. It becomes very clear. Right now it's a massive gray zone. Who's in, who's out, compromise, walking the fence. We need the fear of the Lord. We need it. We need it in our lives personally, and we need it corporately. We need more, guys. There's a dying generation that needs it. You know, my son Freeland, he's a... I want to just talk about divine order I'm going to close it here but talk about divine order because there's just different people in the room there's different walks different different places spaces some of you are like oh my god he says I could die in church um <laughs> I, I want to I want to uh just give you some practical things because we're across the gamut M- my son Freeland you know order for Freeland looks different than order for Hannah Hannah's nine no Hannah's 11 now and uh, I know, thank you, she just had a birthday. Salem's nine, Hannah's 11, but uh, James Freeland is six, and he's in pre-K, or he's in kindergarten, and uh, Upper Room Academy. And this week I was working with him, and he had his pencil out, and he's, it's the dotted lines that he's tracing, and he's just tracing capital E's. He's tracing capital E's, he's tracing capital E's. And so I'm just helping him. And he's like, do you know what the E makes? And so he's walking through all the sounds of an E. And, and I'm just helping him. Like, this is the letter E. We'll do F tomorrow. We're going to do... You know, G, all the different letters through the alphabet. And that's where he's at in establishing order in his education. And it's really important that he understands the E so that he can read words. And then eventually those words become sentences and those sentences become paragraphs. And those paragraphs become a way for him to engage sixth grade, to become a senior in high school, to go to college, to get, uh, to get his doctorate and to make a lot of money for dad. Like <laughs> all of that, my point is like, he has to start with ease, right? If we don't do the ease, when he's a senior in high school and people are reading, he's like, man, I wish I would have put order in my life and learned, learned ease. And spiritually, the truth, the truth is, the same things happen spiritually. It's to mature, you have to understand God's divine order and you, you build your life around those things. So I, I, I was praying about it. I could talk about a number of things. Uh, but but order for me, there's there's three areas that I felt like the Lord highlighted in this. Uh, the first is purity. Um, God God wants us to be pure, and and I specifically want to want to talk about uh, sexual purity. I know this might be a, a, a hard turn, but I I think sometimes we don't know how to bring order into our sexuality, especially men. Um, and so I was reading something in my 20s and I was like, oh, this is a way to put order around this. And it was in Matthew chapter six. So Matthew six says something twice about the eyes. One, it says the lamp to the body is the eye. And if the eye is clear, then the body is full of what? Light. But so the, if, the, if the eye is clear, the body is full of light. But in, in Matthew chapter five, so that's Matthew six, in Matthew five, Jesus says this about lust. So lust precedes, Immorality, sexual immorality. But Jesus says this, he says, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery in her heart. So you have adultery and lust, but what the Lord showed me in my 20s is looking leads to lust and lust leads to adultery. So someone that fell into adultery picked up lust through the eyes. In order for me, this was so freeing, order for me in order to protect... My inner world is be careful what you look at. That lust isn't an appetite issue, it's a a looking issue. Like it's, it's an appetite of the eyes. Now, here's how that played out, is in my 20s, I started being very careful with who I looked at, whether it was at coffee shops or in the car or online. I started to like really be conscientious of what I'm feeding my eyes. So here's what happened. I started doing that, I started getting some traction. I didn't walk perfect, it's not about walking perfect. All right didn't work perfect, I stumbled, but then I met Larissa and and all of a sudden God gave me eyes for one. Now, because I had order and some momentum, then all of a sudden my eyes had someone to look at. Now we got married, and we got married, and thank God we got married, and so now my eyes, I mean, voila la, like I love her, she's attractive, she's my girl, the most beautiful girl I know. but in that, the order that I put five, 10 years prior to meeting her, has served her. And guess what, I'm still today putting boundaries or riverbanks around my eyes so that my passions can flow directly to her. Now, if something happened, here's how this works. Order, glory. What's the glory is that we have a marriage. What's the glory is that we now have kids. What's the glory, what are Larissa and I leading? And what would happen though if like a day came by and I started like looking at things? You know, I'm traveling a little bit more. If I start turning on the TV and looking at things at night, all of a sudden there's a breach in that order. And let's just say water starts leaking at that way. And these passions, instead of being directed towards her, all of a sudden I'm entertaining other, other women or I'm entertaining other things and immorality enters in. And then that just goes for a week and then it goes for a month and then before I know it, all of a sudden I'm making decisions and that looking lusting has turned into me violating my covenant with my wife. And I was like, how did that happen? Well, disorder came months prior to that. And listen to me, the way that God, the way that happens is me struggling in immorality today is much different than I did when I was a 23 year old and no one was following me. The ramifications for me, not only would affect Larissa, and my kids, but it would affect all of you. So me putting order in my life in order to have God's glory rest on my life, I've, I fight more today than I did in my 20s for that. I haven't arrived. Why? Because I'm aware of who is with me. And I tether myself to the fear of the Lord. It brings me great encouragement. Does this make sense? It's not about do's and don'ts. It's not about, don't do that. Don't look at that. It's about building a life that's attractive to him and him resting on it. Because with it comes favor, with it comes blessing, with it comes all of the things. You know, I always thought, why didn't the Lord just take the Israelites into the promised land? Just like, you're out, I'm gonna lead you right there. He took them to a mountain to worship. But you know why I think he did that? I think he was taking them there so that they would know the promiser before the promises. And, And these little things help you know him first, and then he gradually starts to give you more and build. Same with finances. I mentioned it earlier, but if you're not tithing, tithe. Like f- a f- financial order begins with the tithe. It's the first 10%. And as you begin to give him the first 10%, what happens is that he blesses the 90. Yeah. And inflation's real. I know people are struggling financially. All the more reason why you need to line your finances up with the Lord's ways. Because in the, in the season of drought, in the season of famine, I believe God's people are gonna be victorious and live in pros, pros, prosper, prosperity, if that's a word. Sha ba ba ba. But my point is like, start to tithe. I'm not saying it for my sake. I'm not saying it for the church's sake. I'm saying it for your sake. Like part of order is directing your finances in that way. Um, if the first batch is holy, then the lump is holy. Uh, It's just so crucial for that. And then the next thing is that I I really want us corporately, um, one of the things that's attractive to uh, the glory, it's what Moses did. As soon as the glory went by in Exodus uh, 34, we read through the different things. It says, Moses fell down and worshiped. It's the only right response. And I know we're a worshiping community. Like I know that that has been so central uh, there's a worship culture here. Worship isn't an activity, but worship is unto him resting in us and among us. And I just want us to re-ante and come under the mandate to host him in fresh ways. Because I think he wants to do a new thing in our midst. Uh, the students came to me on, uh, we have about 100 students, 150 students, however many students. But I was with our second year students this week. And one of them told me that he said, "I need to, I want to talk to you. He said, I feel like there's an invitation. He had no idea what I was sensing or thinking. He goes, I feel like there's an invitation for the body at Upper Room for more of God's glory. And I'm bothered by it. He was, he was, he was bothered by it. And I was like, man, I feel the same thing. And I feel like the Lord is gonna give us just a, a little more of those moments where we just taste the smallest portion of who he is. And so I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes. I'm gonna land and... Uh, if, if you know in your life that there's disorder, part of moments like this is we repent. Part of moments like this is we change the way we're living. And it starts with our thinking. And I want to invite you to uh, stand to your feet. I want you to respond physically. Just stand up and say, God, there's an area in my life and I want to bring order to it this morning. I'm humbly submitting my heart to you. I'm humbly submitting my ways to you. And if it's in your finances, just give him that. If it's in your purity, give him that. If it's in a relationship, surrender that. But, but Lord, that you you right now would begin, we mentioned it earlier, you would correct, direct, rebuke. You would bring forth, Lord, exactly what we need. Through, through humility, Lord, we approach you. Through repentance, we approach you. Would you just repent to the Lord? Would you just say, Lord, this has been in disorder. Lord, I, I, I repent to you. Lord, I'm bringing... I'm bringing this area of my life to you. I can't do it on my own. I'm repenting to you. Lord, would you take hold of it? Would you lay hold of it? Lord, it's with a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. And so Lord, would you meet those that are coming with broken wells, with broken hearts, with broken ways, and would you mend their ways? Would you strengthen their ways? Would you support these riverbanks, God? And would you bring divine order? Would you bring divine order? Would you bring divine order? Would you bring divine order to marriages? I see some of you, you need a date night on a calendar. You need regular rhythms as a marriage. You need a, you need a Sabbath. You need, you need to put definitions to when you have certain conversations. The Lord is really into rhythms. And I just see him saying, evaluate, consider your ways before me. Consider what you're doing. Consider how you're doing it. I am a God of order and I want to bring order to your week. I want to bring order to your days. And so Father, we, we offer our lives before you and Lord, we want your glory as a community. Can you just pray the prayer Moses prayed? Show me your glory. Just say it. Just say, show me your glory, Lord. Show me your glory in my life personally. Show me your glory in my marriage. Show me your glory, Lord, in my family. Show me your glory, Lord, in my habits. Show me your glory, Lord, in my workplace. Show me your glory, Lord. Lord, I believe you want to reveal yourself in all of these areas. And so show us your glory, Jesus, under the knowledge of who you truly are, Lord. Show us your glory in our frustration. Show us your glory, Lord, in our limited perspectives, Father. We ask that you would give us a taste again of who you are. I pray, Father, for every life in this room that they would be marked for your glory. Isaiah 43:7 says, we were created for your glory. Just put your hands before the Lord if you would. Say, Lord, I'm here, a living sacrifice presenting myself. And Lord, I pray that my ways become your ways, that my thoughts become your thoughts. Lord, give me your mind, Lord. Help me understand your ways. Teach me. Lord, I am willing, I am pliable, I am moldable. Here I am. I'm gonna ask our prayer team to come forward. And as they're coming forward, if you're with your spouse, could you just grab them? by the hands and if you're with a relative or if you're with friends, would you just grab hands with him and just say, I am I'm, I'm wanting to see God's glory in this part of my life. I want the knowledge of God in this part of my life. Would you just confess that? Just say, say, this is the area that I wanna see the Lord. I want order in this area of my life. I want order. And Lord, we're asking that you fall upon these prayers. We're asking, Lord, that you meet lives. Just grab hands with someone that you came with. If you know them, trust them. just grab hands and say, say, let's go after this together. Let's ask the Lord for glory to meet us in this area of our lives. prayers. If you just stand up, we're going to sing this bridge. It's a great way to end this morning. I pray you are blessed. You leave encouraged. Let's just sing this bridge as we close.
1: I long to look on the face of the one that I love. Long to stay in your presence where I belong, long to look on the face of the one that I love, long to stay in Your presence. where I belong, long to look on the face of the one that I love, long to stay in Your presence.
0: Show us your glory. Show us your glory. glory. Reveal yourself, Lord. Show us your glory. King of glory. He's the king of glory. You're the king of glory. You're the king of glory. Oh, we say, open up, ye ancient gates, that the king of glory may come in. You are the king of glory, Jesus. We welcome you into our lives, king of glory. You're the King of glory. We want to see the presence of your Lord. guys are down here for you. Uh, we are so grateful that you spent Sunday morning with us. We pray throughout the week, morning, noon and night, starting in the morning at 6 a.m. Uh, please join us. If you want more information about us, it's there. But if you need prayer, further prayer for what we uh, talked about today or just something else, these guys are here for you, so come on up. We love you, thanks for coming up.